Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So yesterday morning, I went to the uh, farmer's market uh, up in our neighborhood, the Hollywood Farmer's Market, uh, and it was a happy morning because there were baskets, there were half flats, there were tall stacks of strawberries, there were seascapes, there were albions, uh, there were even the first hoods that I'd seen in the market. So there were lots of smiles, there were lots of kids with red smears on their faces, uh, and there were a few tired farmers as well. There could hardly be a better time or place to talk about fruit uh, than summer in Oregon. So this summer here at Portland Mennonite Church, we are going to talk about fruit. As you've heard, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And uh, we're going to start this summer series this morning with love. And I'm pretty sure if love took on the shape, uh, the color, the taste, the aroma of a fruit, it would be strawberry. In fact, this week I was rereading a part of Robin Wall Kimmer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass. She has a chapter on strawberries, and she points out that in Potawatomi, strawberry is odemen, which translates literally as heartberry. And that sounds about right. So I think that uh, the shape of love has got to be strawberry. But what about joy? What do you think joy evokes? What expresses joy? What fruit would you link with joy? Any, any ideas? Watermelon. All right, that's pretty good. Although I, would, I, I, I got watermelon for generosity. Split that thing open and everybody's got a piece. That's pretty, I, I have marionberry for joy because when I pluck a marionberry off a vine and pop it in my mouth, it makes me smile every time. It just feels like a huge gift. Uh, peace, the fruit of peace. I don't know, what fruit goes with that? See, I got olives. I did check, I did check with Heidi. Is, are olives really a fruit? So we're, gonna, we're gonna talk more next week about what constitutes a fruit. But olives count, as it turns out, olive branch. And patience. See, I think patience is cantaloupe. Because you have to wait on a cantaloupe. Cantaloupe is like, there's such a narrow window. It's not ripe, it's not ripe, and then there's like 15 minutes that it's ripe. <laughs> and then it's, it's overripe, you gotta throw it out. So like, you have to build your day around that ripening cantaloupe. You gotta wait, you gotta be patient, and then hit it while you can. So, while you work on your own list, uh, and maybe we can compare notes uh, later on, but all these fruits are good, right? I mean, when I'm in the market, I'm happy to buy a basket, a, bush, a bushel, a bag full of every one of those. And it strikes me it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest. We would take a basket full of each of those, right? Those are all good fruits. And yet, in this reading from uh, Galatians, Paul sets the fruits of the Spirit in contrast to what he calls the works of the flesh. Paul knows that as humans, we have this capacity in us to be hurtful, to harm others, to harm the earth, to act selfishly, to uh, just flat out sin. And, uh, and there's something in this list pretty much for everyone. And in, in the NRSV, which is printed in your bulletin, these are the ones that Paul lists. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, 
carousing, and the list goes on, things like these. And we're not going to keep score this morning, but as I look at that list, I can pretty quickly tick five off for myself. And depending on how you define things, six or seven, and I'll let you guess which those are. Um, so we're not going to check notes here. But Paul, the point is that Paul knows we don't need a lot of help with this stuff. This comes pretty easily. We can work the vices out on our own. But however far we've wandered down this wrong path, uh, however far we've let ourselves be carried along by selfish desires or, or misplaced priorities, uh, however far our fears or our passions or our pettiness has taken us, there's still something deep, deep in us, in all of us, something that comes of being made in the image of God, uh, an echo or a dream of something else, of something more. Even if it's just a, a flickering light in the pit of our soul, we all still hold on to the hope of love. We hold on to the hope that we can be loved, that we could love someone else, that we could live our lives in love and not just be ruled constantly by our fears. We hold on to hope for love and for, and for all the baskets of all the other fruits that grow with it, joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the others. And it's significant that Paul describes those here as fruits of the Spirit. Works of the flesh, we can manage those on our own. But love and joy and peace and all the others come of the Spirit. And they come of the Spirit working in us and the Spirit working with us. Because love and joy and peace, like the melons and the berries and the stone fruits in the farmer's market, those are all cultivated. There is work for us to do. But after the fields have been tilled and the seeds have been planted and the vines have been pruned, after our work is done, then we wait. We wait for the gifts that come from God, from the creative, sustaining, life-giving spirit of God. Now, the truth is, I didn't grow up on a farm. I don't know a lot about farming. In fact, yesterday, a group of us went to volunteer up at the community garden at NEA, the Native American Youth and Family Center. And I'm not kidding, within 15 minutes, I had, a, I had, a, had a blister on my palm. I'm just not cut out for that. I'm, I'm used to sitting at a desk. Give me a keyboard, I'm right at home. And after two hours in the sun, I was just utterly spent. I, I quickly realized why those farmers always seem so tired on Saturday mornings at the farmer's market. So this morning, I asked an actual farmer to come up and talk with us for a little bit. So Joe Blowers is going to come up, and um, the pro is going to come and tell us a little more about farming. There you go, Joe. So some of you have been to the farm that Joe and LaVon have. Um, in fact, how many have been out to their farm at some point? Okay. Well, for those of you who haven't, maybe, Joe, you could say, where's your farm, and how long have you and LaVon uh, been on it? Uh, well... Uh, we, we've been on it about eight and a half years, and uh, it's, if you basically go to Oregon City and go a f half hour to 40, 40 minutes straight south, you'll end up at our farm. We're two miles south of Malala. All right. So what, what's growing on your farm? And the follow-up question is going to be, what makes those fruits, those vegetables grow well? But let's start with what, what's growing on your farm? Uh, we've got a variety of stuff. We... we uh, our cardinal rule is don't leave the soil bare ever. So our whole farm is covered with mulch or grass. And so the grass has to be, you can't let grass grow forever. It becomes a fire hazard. So we've got sheep, we've got uh, cattle grazing on it and horses. And then um, 
in between all those expanses of grass, we have just a ton of different kinds of fruits. Um, everything from pawpaws to uh, persimmons, apples, peaches, nectarines. Um, we grow a lot of berries, okay. particularly blackberries. Right. Um, and then garden stuff, stuff okay. you'd expect in a vegetable garden. Okay. So you mentioned that you, you're, you're doing a restoration project there, and you're growing a few other things that we probably wouldn't find in the farmer's market because they're not necessarily for us. <laughs> yeah, yesterday, I, th there's a, the first, you may know, notice this in the woods, there's a berry that grows in the woods that's wild, native, called Oso berry, or the old name for it is Indian berry, or Indian plum. And, um, and it's ripe now because it is the first thing to bloom in the spring. And so I'm trying to beat the birds to it. And there's two kinds of birds that eat these berries. And so this is the first year I've ever paid that much attention. But it, it turned green first, the little plum. And then it turned orange, or kind of yellow, and then orange. And now it's going into purple. And i got to catch it right when it turns to purple or the birds eat it. So yesterday I was going around picking them and taking the fruit off. And then inside is this, is this seed. And I never remember to bring a bag with me, so I just end up sticking all the seeds in my back pocket. And <laughs> by the end of the day, I have, you know, 40 or 50 seeds in my back pocket, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally growing new plants to, uh, to plant into my restoration project, and it's, it's fun. I really enjoy it. Cool. <laughs> I mean, so, so why are, why do some things grow well in your farm? I mean, what, what, yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, that's a long question. There's a long answer to that question. <laughs> I mean, I, I think of it as, um, you know, as you're tending things, tending is, is a really important thing. Tending mean, meaning doing what humans do. And in the case of the oso berries, um, you know, I, all I need to do is get them started and put them in the ground and water them for a couple of years. And they're happy because they're adapted. So that would, that would bring up the second thing is genetics, you know. Um, if a thing is genetically adapted to grow where, where you're planting it, then once you get it started, it's going to be happy. But, um, you know, there's also environment is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And that would include, one thing I didn't realize before I really got involved with this farm is how important soil is. You know, so uh, the soil's not the same everywhere on the whole farm. It's different. Uh, in the south side of our farm than it is in the north side of our farm. And soil is incredibly important. Like our soil has, on the south side of the farm, has a tendency to dry out. It drains really well, so it doesn't matter how much rain we get, mm -hmm. we almost never have water running off. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, drown, down into the soil, which is great in the winter and not so great in late August. Mm -hmm. um, late August, things could get pretty dried out if their roots don't go deep yeah. enough. And so, you know, you just don't want to put uh, blueberries, for instance, are water hogs. They love mm -hmm. water. Mm -hmm. And blueberries don't do that great on our farm yeah. if we plant it in that soil at the south side of the farm. Huh. Uh, so part of the work of a farmer is just being attentive to the soil. Yeah, uh, the yeah. The the soil, the nature of it, the kind of plants that are going to grow in that soil. Yeah, and even, even um, not just soil, but environment would include things like shade, you know. So. Okay. We've learned the hard way that berries love our blackberries love our mm -hmm. farm, but but the berries themselves once they get big and ready to ripen, uh, because the water sometimes is a bit of a 
there's a bit of a shortage in that soil, yeah. um, particularly at the top 18 inches of the soil. You know, when, when they get ready to ripen, sometimes the, they run out of water and they mm -hmm. just literally sun scald. And so we've, we've learned to simulate shade. So we stick shade over the, <laughs> over the berries, okay. stick shade claws over the berries, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it works. It's amazing. It's like, huh. it's like an instant forest. Um, huh. and, and then the berries don't sun scald. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so clearly there's a lot of work for farmers to do, but then there comes a point where you're left to wait and to hope and to trust. Um, I thought of a, an excerpt, it's from, actually from Wendell Berry in his book Sabbath, where he writes, Harvest will fill the barn, for that the hand must ache, the face must sweat, and yet no leaf or grain is filled by work of ours. The field is tilled and left to grace, that we may reap great work is done while we're asleep. So as a farmer, what, what have you learned about that collaboration between work and grace? Um, there are years when you can just work super hard and get nothing. Um, huh. And... You know, an example is last, we have this tree, I mentioned it when we, I did children's time where we trimmed that tree, but. Um, the apple tree. The apple tree. Yeah. And, uh, and that tree is an amazing tree. Every single year un until last year, it just yielded 25 bushels or something of, uh -huh. of apples. And uh -huh. it, we eat a lot of apples as a result. Um, and then last year, some weird thing happened with the frost and half the tree just nothing. Hmm. And the other half had apples, but but we had half as many apples as normal, yeah. and we had to yeah. adjust. And there are a lot of years where there's just a complete crop failure. You mm. know, like onions really don't qualify as fruit, but last year, or maybe it was the year before, we had a complete crop failure of onions. Huh. Um, you know, they we planted them like normal, but they yeah. just didn't, huh. they just didn't grow. And you just have to roll with it, and it's a lot like life that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you make plans, and then other things happen, uh -huh. and it doesn't turn out the way you expected. Um, and it's not worth getting anxious over. It doesn't uh -huh. do any good, as uh -huh. Jesus pointed out. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Huh. Well, okay, so, so a last question more general, but as a follower of Jesus, what has is, what is farming taught you about life uh, or about faith or, or about love? Hmm. Well, I think, I think the thing I've learned most from gardening and tending fruit is, is that um, how you treat something when it's young, for instance, a young tomato plant or, um, or a young berry plant, um, really matters. Mm -hmm. And you can abuse it like crazy when it's old, but when it's, but when it's young... If yeah, you old was laughing at that, by the way. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't mean you should, but, but things, are, things are more resilient once they're grounded and growing. Okay. But when it's young, everything you do to it matters. And so tender, loving care is super important. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I guess that translates to how I, for instance, try to treat children sure, in our church and how important mm -hmm. children are. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 um, I've also, I have a tendency to worry about water, which is why this thing we've gone through on our farm, we had our, our well wasn't working for three and a half weeks. And that, that was really hard for me. Uh -huh. And um, 
worry is pointless. It's just, it's hard for me to take the second step of going to prayer instead of worry. Mm-hmm. But that's where I want to go. Okay. Um, and, and to a farmer, you know, I, I come here and you guys say, isn't this weather beautiful? And I'm just thinking, oh, drought, drought, we aren't getting any water. <laughs> and it happens to me almost every sunny Sunday. And it's just, <laughs> it's just funny how, how different our perspectives are. Yeah, um, yeah. Hmm. So, wow. So, so I guess what I've learned is how easy it is for me to worry and how, how important it is for me to, to just know that... Um, that somehow God's going to work it out because mm. I can't, <laughs> I cannot control these things. I yeah. can't control when the weather, when the rain co- yeah. comes. Paul plants and Apollos waters and we trust that God brings the growth. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joe. I really appreciate you coming up and talking a little bit about farming here. That's right. So this summer we are, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, they are gifts that come from God. Um, remember in 1 John 4, we love because God first loved us. Uh, God's love is a gift. And um, that means there's nothing we have to do to earn it. And even more, it means there's nothing we can do to lose it. God's love is persistent. It's indiscriminate. It's practical. It's unending. But it's also true that love is always a choice. And so in the first part of this text in Galatians, Paul's warning us about what happens when we choose not to love, not to love others, not to love ourselves, not to love God. Love is always a choice. And so there's always work for us to do. Um, Like farming, there's the work of preparing the ground and planting the seeds and watering the soil and pruning the vines. And so this week, uh, when it comes to, these fruit of the, uh, the, to this fruit of love taking root in us, I've been thinking about questions like, um, how have I or how have we let our hearts become like hard-packed soil, impenetrable or inhospitable? Are there habits that I've fallen into or habits that we've fallen into or choices that we're making that need to be uprooted? They're like weeds that crowd out what really matters. Are there relationships in our lives that need tending? Um, how are we nourishing our souls? How are we creating space? How are we making ourselves receptive to the gift of God's love in our lives? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And after the service this morning, uh, the MYF, the Mennonite Youth Fellowship, are going to give us a taste of love. They're going to serve up strawberry shortcake downstairs. So I hope all of you can stay If you're joining us online, I'm sorry, we cannot stream strawberry shortcake to you, but I hope that you will find some strawberries that you uh, can enjoy at home. And wherever we find ourselves this week, uh, may God's love take root in us. Amen.